regular beans? What? No. Welcome to a very special episode of Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I'm one of your hosts, Magna Mills, and I'm here with the soup deucer to do a Jersey thing. I am keeping it Jersey, and no, I'm not drinking a Keystone Light. I'm drinking a Coors Light. It's nice and cold, like the you know the mountains of New Jersey, which are what they call their little pathetic sand dunes. Soup, introduce yourself. Tell us uh, you sipping on anything tonight, because uh, we're doing a Jersey thing. Yeah, man, I'm always sipping on something. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. I am the soup, and I am drinking Ying Lang tonight. Not Ying Ling, because, you know, not so much sing, but more sang, you know, past tense. So they eat like Ying Langs tonight out of the can. I'm a pound these motherfuckers, man. Ying Ling originally Philadelphia, right there with South Philly. So you're keeping it gangster with Jersey. I like that. You know, it's the next best thing to maybe having some rum ham. Uh, thanks again for checking us out. You can find regular dudes watch stuff wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the good ones. Find us on social media at dudes watch stuff. Thank you very much for watching. We appreciate it. If you could do the like, comment, follow, subscribe thing, just do one of those. Takes you like five seconds. Helps us out a lot. Helps people find the show. And soup, I have to ask, are you even supposed to be here today, man? You know what, man? I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm definitely not even supposed to be here today, but. Just like the way the world goes, man, you know, sometimes I get called in and I occasionally buckle like a belt. Yeah, and sometimes there's a restraining order. It can go both ways. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've both been fans of Kevin Smith since the VHS days, like literally way back mid-90s. I own Clerks on VHS. I own Mallrats on VHS. I actually think I owned everything before Clerks 2, pre-Clerks 2, maybe even, but whatever. I, I own some Kevin Smith uh VHS, I remember traveling with them, and we're doing kind of a little series of episodes here where we're going to discuss the movies in the Kevin Smith viewers universe. There's quite a few of those at this day and age, so we're not going to cover them all instantly, and we're probably not even going to cover them in the order that they necessarily go in or the order they came out. At the end of the episode, we'll figure out which one we're going to do next, but we, we had to start with Clerks, right? Even though I, I read Kevin Smith said Mallrats comes first, and I think it technically does, but you got to start with Clerks, right? I agree. Yeah, we got to start with clerks. That was the uh, that was what started everything. As far as uh, you know, it, it's the foundation. It's 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 the trunk of the tree, man. Everything else is kind of a branch from there. So uh, yeah, clerks. It all comes back to clerks, man. Whether or not we're supposed to be here today, it's time to head over to the quick stop to the video store. So here are the details for our featured review for this very special episode of Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. This is Clerks, directed by Kevin Smith, written by Kevin Smith. Produced by Scott Mosier and Kevin Smith. Cinematographer was Dave Klein. Edited by Scott Mosier and Kevin Smith. Released October 19th, 1994. Had an initial budget of just over twenty-seven grand, and wound up with a $230,000 post-production, most of which went to the soundtrack. Box office take was $4.4 million, so nice little ROI there. Running time of 92 minutes. Starring Brian O'Halloran, Jeff Anderson, Marilyn Gigliotti, Jason Muse and Lisa Spoonhour. And the short plot synopsis is a day in the life of two convenience clerks named Dante and Randall as they annoy customers, discuss movies, and play hockey on the store roof. And that's probably not going to cover it all, but it was a short plot synopsis. And this is also a full spoiler joint right here. Clerks, all the Kevin Smith movies are in play to be spoiled here, as well as there's documentaries about this. Kevin Smith has made a podcast basically about everything. 
interviews, articles, the whole viewers universe is on the table here. It's your first and final warning. If you didn't know, now you know. But let's just start out at the beginning, not quite Aaron Rodgers style, so we don't have to go back to the birthday universe, but just maybe the first time you remember seeing Clerks or the kind of earliest memories, impressions you have of the film, you know, even if you don't really remember exactly where you were the first time you saw it. Yeah, I mean, it was an immediate, like, kind of a mind blower, you know. Um, I remember watching it being a little disappointed it was black and white, but I powered through that, and uh, yeah, I forgot about that it was even in black and white after, like, a couple of minutes getting into it. I do remember that much because it was just so wildly entertaining because of the dialogue and the scenarios that they find themselves in and everything else also came around at a very uh very um uh, you know similar time in life for me i just started my first job or whatever and was working in you know at a piece of joint and it was customer service you know so uh watching a movie like this after you know after working a little bit you have a better, uh, you have a more of a, an appreciation for what they're doing here um then just that time in life very nostalgic you know soundtrack and everything kind of takes me right back to uh right back to that mid late 90s kind of time which uh you know i appreciate does it surprise you at all that this came out in 94 i know it kind of did but it feels more like it came out in 96 or 97 so that always surprised me a little bit because then i was a little young when it came out and i kind of remember the first time someone tried to describe it to me that probably was 94, 95, but they didn't do a very good job. So I didn't get I'm like, so it's black and white and they swear a lot. I, that was basically the impression I got of it. And I, I don't know that I, cards on the table, I might've seen Mallrats first. There is a chance that I saw Mallrats first. And I think I got Mallrats on VHS because of the soundtrack for Mallrats. And on the soundtrack, there were clips from the movie or whatever. And it got me interested in the movie. And I think, watch Mallrats, and then went and bought Clerks the next day and watched it. I'm pretty sure that how it went. Nice. I definitely didn't see Mallrats first. I definitely saw Mallrats after Clerks. And I don't. I didn't see Clerks as soon as it came out either. I probably didn't see it until somewhere in 95 because I had already started you know, working a job or whatever. So um, it definitely wasn't fresh uh, off the press when I, when I first watched it. It was probably like a year deep or whatever. Yeah, and back then, it took, like, what, nine months for a movie to get out on VHS from when it was in the movies? The turnaround time was a lot later, so there's a chance it didn't come out, you know, until summer in 95 on VHS or something like that. And I have to say, I, I probably do curse as much as I fucking do because of this goddamn movie, so I blame Kevin Smith a little bit for that. And I eventually did get a job at what you'd call a convenience store, maybe a small grocery store or a big convenience store, but I definitely remember my first day doing all the shit, and I'm like, dude, uh, I'm a fucking clerk, man. And I think <laughs> having worked in that kind of environment for a couple of years after that really kind of made the, the movie resonate with me even stronger than it did initially. Yeah, I mean, it definitely relates. And this is also like long before movies like Waiting or The Slam and Salmon had come out, you know. So there wasn't a whole lot, you know, from the perspective of, you know, uh, service industry folk. So yeah, off the top of my head, it's like Caddyshack, maybe, but that was only a little part of it where you saw the perspective of the caddies, the kind of, you know, the, the slobs versus snobs or whatever kind of comedies there were a little right. of those but all right so that about does it and we're going to try to do things in order but we might be jumping around a little bit so bear with us we're going to start towards the beginning and in fact the very beginning because i've always kind of wondered this i think i know why but the movie opens the phone rings dante's getting called into work and we see him fall out of his closet where he was sleeping yeah I, I, why was dante sleeping in his closet i Dude, I don't know, man. I'd like I've never been able to figure that one out with the door shut too. So he was he barricaded himself in there, man. And he still woke up to answer the fucking phone, which was a phone on a cord, no less, which is awesome. 
and I love his room too because his room is just nothing but fucking piles of clothes and shit like everywhere, man. Like so, I mean, man, maybe sleeping in a closet ain't so bad. <laughs> I get that. It's uh, I've seen that kind of joke before, and it also leaves it ambiguous, right? You can't tell with that room. You can't tell if he's living with his parents, if he's living with roommates, if he's got his own house, and that's just how he lives. You can't really tell. The only thing we do find out is that he was on the phone till at least two thirty in the morning. With Caitlin, we find that out when uh, Randall, you know, tells that he called at two thirty in the morning to use Dante's car, which is a whole other thing we'll get to when we get there. So maybe assume he was up till I don't know three talking to Caitlin. Store opens at yeah, six. Maybe he just... and he's getting called in. He's getting called at five. Maybe he just passed out in the closet after talking to her, and then he only answered the phone because he thought it was her calling again. Either that or his dog was just on the bed and he was just like, no, nah, I can't, I can't. I'm so I know dog. one thing, man. I'm not going to wake up and answer the phone. I don't give a shit. Like if I'm sleeping and if I, even if I wake up and hear it ring, I'm not going to like answer it. Like, fuck you, I'm sleeping, man. <laughs> that would blow the mind of someone who's only grown up with, you had your own cell phone. The idea that you could just, you were out of contact sometimes would blow someone who's 10 years old's mind right now. Like, what do you mean? You were like, what yeah, did you do? Yeah. What do you mean I can't get away? Well, there were these things called payphones, and you know, they were mostly portable toilets. But and, and I brought it up there. What do you think? Does Dante live with his parents? Does he live alone? Does he live with roommates? Does he live with Randall? Just because when they zoom out, it's kind of a you know a one story rancher. But there was a motorcycle out there. So yeah, other option is is Dante secretly a motorcycle guy? It could be, but you got to you got to factor in that they, these are suburb kids. They're twenty two at the time. I don't know that they have a ton of money working in a convenience store. I doubt he owns his own house. It could be a roommate situation, but I think the most likely is a parent situation. Makes sense. So, is it Dante's father who's a biker, or his mom dating a biker? I think the mom's banging a biker for sure. I mean, at least that's what I like to think. <laughs> I like to go with Dante is a secret biker. That's what he does. He's got the boots a little bit. I don't know. He seems like he can handle himself a little. I just think it would be more fun if it was Dante's whole deal. I mean, look, man, he's you know, he's from Jersey. Anything's possible. And that's something we'll never find out. <laughs> yeah, I don't even they didn't even get to that one in the animated series, but good times there. So let's kind of, you know, dispense with the opening fuckery. But it's fun because I, I always kind of glossed over that part of the movie a little bit. So I thought it'd be interesting to focus on it because usually you're waiting to get to the, the thing here, the early montage where Dante opens the store up. And I have a lot of memories of doing this. It's a lot of how it works. It's specifically bringing the trash can back outside. That's why you always had to change the trash last because you didn't want to leave trash in the store in the can at night. But if you left it outside, basically everybody and their mother, you know, good for you for not littering, but also they pay you know they got to pay to get rid of the trash and for a dumpster and everything so that's why you bring the trash can in well it's everything the whole, the whole routine man you know from from starting a coffee from unlock and everything i do the same thing when i open the, the restaurant or close the restaurant you know it's like you have a routine of how you how, how you set up every morning or how you shut down every morning even going down to like which doors i unlock and which particular order and everything you know so i think a lot of people do this on a daily basis or a semi-daily basis develop some sort of a routine like that otherwise they would you know i don't know how it wouldn't work so well you know you almost have to oh absolutely i used to have a routine we'd have like plot like plot at the end like you make a little thing because that's something you did the order and the stuff you kind of check it down to close as early i always like the bit when he gets the they don't have the newspapers and then he steals them out of the joint and gets the quarterback and i like the idea that he knows to check that because he's done that so many times and it just gives you a, a feeling for just how many times he's done this over and over 
Hey, dude, shout out Dante. That's actually impressive to make the I uh, assure you we're, we're open sign. Look at the space he has to work with in the shoe oh, polish yeah. to actually make that that good. I think that's really fucking impressive. That's what he should have gone to school for. Pretty stellar job. Pretty stellar job. I want to know where he got the big piece of cloth or whatever, uh, like just laying around. Maybe random. It was a sheet. It had to be a sheet. I'm assuming. I don't know what else it could have possibly been unless it was a sale. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise that there's random shit like that laying around. Pretty much any place will have some kind of random. Like, why is this here? Or whatever. So yeah, I could get that. You know, the shoe polish is a good call. Like, but I I feel like did he not have a sharpie in there? You know, I mean, maybe maybe he wouldn't have the shoe polish on his on his shoe uh, polish would work better. Sharpie would be hard. You'd have to actually make block letters and then color them in, I think. Shoe polish is actually, True. I think, the yeah. most efficient thing he could have used. But it gives you the great runner where all day everyone's like, oh, it smells like shoe polish. That is one of my favorite runners. And they even bring it back in the uh, the lost scene, the animated scene at uh, Julie Dwyer's funeral. We'll get to that in a bit. But the shoe polish bit is I think great. it's hilarious how many people actually know what shoe polish smells like. Because like, if you smelled shoe polish, would, be, would you be like, that smells like shoe polish? Or if you went to like some kid now, like what does that smell? Would they even know what it was? I don't know. It's weird when smell stuff works like that. Like I've had my nose busted before and you go to the doctor and they give you like a smell test almost. They kind of blindfold you and they put stuff in front of you and you got to sniff it. And uh, I was, this was right after it happened really. It was, I was still pretty fresh and I couldn't smell basically anything and I couldn't smell coffee grounds. And the doctor was like, oh, well, that's it. If you can't smell coffee grounds yet, you're never going to be able to smell anything again. I was like, what the fuck? Turned out he probably should have been a clerk, not a doctor. Can you smell I, coffee now? Yeah, I can smell everything like three days later. He should have, <laughs> yeah. He probably should have stuck to, uh, you know, working at the video store, maybe not become a ear, nose, and throat guy or what have you. Only real quibble I have here, we do love the film, but I got to bring up a couple quibbles. It's for Dante Parks. Never in the history of the world would a retail manager let you park in the prime spot right in front of the store. No way, no how, right, man? Oh, absolutely. Most places don't even let you park in the fucking parking lot. Like, you have to go, either they have an employee section in the back somewhere, if you have a big enough space for that, or it's, you got to fend for yourself. No, but, like, at the restaurant I work at, you can't park in the parking lot. Dude, they wouldn't let us park in, like, on the street near. Even though it was legal, they wouldn't even let you park if they saw your car there. They couldn't legally do that, but you know how it is. The, the job can always get one over on you. They can just make your life a pain in the ass. They make us walk blocks and it's fine. It's not that bad, but until it's raining until yeah. you're just running a little bit late for work, especially with one of those jobs, like, you know, on time is being 15 minutes early kind of deals. And it, it just one of those little things that always drove me a little nuts, but I get not parking right in front in the, the prime spot. Unless you're delivery dude, then you, then you got to get the, the quick spot. But other than that, man, uh, just as far as quick stop, they definitely would not let Dante park there the whole day. Right, right. I feel like that place might have a lot of pedestrian traffic anyway, because the parking lot is obviously very small, right? A couple spaces out front. But you see, you know, from different camera angles, it's kind of in a residential, you know, area or whatever. So, uh, you know, and you don't really see a whole lot of vehicles pulling up. I think you only, you know, most of the, most of the time you see people walking up. I don't know if they park further away and you just, that's what you see. Or if you got the pedestrian traffic like that there, you know. I think that's just, again, probably the realities of shooting the movie the way they did. They couldn't do it with anybody else, so that's why you see it that way. I'd like to think of it as maybe this was uh, one of Dante's little quiet protests because he's getting called in or whatever. He's like, fuck it, I'm, park I'm parking in front today. So that's how, in, in my little headcanon, that's how I've chosen to think of it. 
And pretty much right when he opens, we get to meet our first of many customers we meet. And it's the, the two least gum representative. We don't know that's what he is when he starts. Just uh, to break down this uh, the scene for us here a little bit. And thoughts kind of on the whole Chuli's gum thing. It was definitely an interesting way to get into the flick, really. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good first scene as far as interactions with uh you know with customers and uh, basically to get you into the into what this movie is going to be. Now the Julie's Gum guy, I mean, a great way to just uh, I mean you're 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 hitting a home run on your on your first fucking attempt here, man, because this dude causes a fucking scene. He cruises in under the disguise of uh, some anti smoke. You know, first off, he orders coffee and wants to drink it in the like right there at the counter. Okay, kind of weird, but fine, whatever. And then he that's starts strike one is a is someone who's yeah. working there. That's all right. That's one strike. Now don't bring up politics. No, it's not like he wants to say. Something. It's not like he's even trying to bullshit with Dante. He's like, I'm just going to stand here and drink the coffee. All right, fine. Then a dude comes up and wants to buy a pack of cigarettes, and then all of a sudden it's on. You know, so this guy busts out a fucking fake lung, like a cancer ridden lung and shit. Busts out a trach ring, like he had props and shit. You know, uh, you know, other people join in, and it, it turns into a like what Veronica says, a mob. And, uh, you know, from there, we'll uh, I'll let you finish up with what happens next. Well, I just kind of on that, I do want to point out that they actually got, it's like a, what was it? It's like a cow's organ or something that they got for the actual lung. I think so it was a liver, real, right? Like, it was liver. a real, yeah, it was a real organ. So you saw actually when the guy uh, puts it up there, he's got gloves on. And then I think the actor forgot to put it back on. So then he just grabs the, it's a real organ. And he puts it back into the the bag. So I always like that little bit of it. And I'm pretty sure putting a lung on the counter like that violates a lot of health codes. I think it would have yes. been incredibly funny that after Dante got the one ticket for the cigarettes of the four-year-old, then he gets another ticket for this lung on the counter or whatever. Yeah, Especially when he was like telling the dude, like, you know, you couldn't do it. Just another way of Dante getting shit on because he let that dude drink the coffee there. Dude goes way out with it. The Chulis Gum guy is great. He's just the right amount of competent, but sleazy a little bit. You know, he's perfectly cast here. I do have to say there's no gum company in the world that would pay someone to do this. There's just zero chance that would happen. I like to think in my head that he's just a dude. He's trying to get ahead. So he's doing everything. He's hustling hard. He works his way up through Chulis. And then he just gets elected to Congress. That'll be his deal. He'll become Maybe. a politician. I mean, what, kind of, what kind of commission is this guy working on, man, where he's going to that extent? Seriously, like per pack of gum, <laughs> right? I mean, that's an interesting way to build your sales. So <laughs> I think he's just, a, he's hustling real hard. And there's just a couple of real funny little bits here that is some of the great stuff that Kevin Smith always does. When he leaves, the dude who was the, the first one in there, when he's like, oh, you're 1920 or whatever, and, uh, you know, the dude goes back around, he's like, uh, pack of cigarettes? Dante kind of looks at him and it's one of Brian O'Halloran's best moments in the movie the look yeah. he gives this dude like really after all that you want your and he almost throws him at him I think that's just Slams phenomenal him, but... one you know what great... else is cool is anytime somebody buys a pack of cigarettes throughout the movie in there he gives you get a free pack of matches where did those days go man <laughs> they used to exist actually maybe that I feel like maybe that was a jersey thing but I feel Maybe you had to ask. I don't. I don't really know. But matches can be handy. It's you know. I don't even know if people carry matches anymore. You know. You don't. You know. You don't want them until you need them. It's already too late. As the suit mentioned, to kind of lead into the next part, which is Dante's girlfriend Veronica shows up, scares him off with a fire extinguisher. Pretty badass intro. She's just you know pointing the dude out, catches him trying to sneak out the back door. She's the one who figures out he's a truly gum 
representative. So then her and Dante have a little private moment laying on the floor behind the counter. Dante's painting her nails. And they talk about their relationship. It gets into how many people they've slept with. Why won't Dante go back to college? It runs a little bit long here, but it's mostly done in one shot. Great acting job. And it pretty much tells you everything you need to know about the flick. It's actually kind of impressive because after this scene, now you have a really good idea who Dante is. You have a good idea who Veronica is, and you kind of set the stakes for the idea that he doesn't want to be stuck here forever, which is kind of the through line for the whole movie, more or less. So thoughts on this little quiet scene, but, you know, also a very important scene. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for what it is, and it kind of, and it breaks up that between the next, like, banger or whatever that may be you know and uh it was a good flow and the conversations down you know the conversations they were pretty good pretty much all of them and, and yeah i mean it explains a lot about both of the characters and uh you know i mean some of the kind it leads into the leads into some further things that uh that are that i'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute uh involving numbers and whatnot but you know there's another part of that conversation that was kind of cool and that was his generalization about uh you know guys and girls and their and you know and their uh their roles in the uh you know in the bedroom which uh, I think he's pretty much spot on. <laughs> <laughs> it probably depends on the actual uh, parties involved, but this is maybe some of the best di dialogue that Dante gets in the whole flick. Maybe it's to show that he's comfortable with Veronica. Uh, I think right away when they're first down there and he's kind of looking at the cigarette and he's complaining that people are you know throwing cigarettes at him and Veronica gets the, well, at least they weren't lit. I always love that right. one. Um, you know, like you said, he has the the little bit, they're, they're referring to sex, and he's like the guy, you know, he's like, oh, you got to do, insert somewhere close, preferably moist, thrust, repeat. It, you know, it could also, you can cook like that, you can fix a VCR like that. There's a lot of things you can do. And if Veronica gets... But you don't you know, have to fuck like that, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, you can, do, well, I mean, moist, well, you kind of have to do it in that order, but... And then the idea that when she gets mad and then Dante says, I was making a broad generalization. And then Veronica says, you were making a generalization about broads. That's like a classic old school flip it around on you zinger. I love that kind of thing. It, the most random thing that Dante says all movie might be when Veronica says, you'll sleep with anything that says yes. And Dante says, animal, mineral, or vegetable. And Veronica says, vegetable meaning paraplegic. And Dante says, they put up the least amount of struggle. That feels like a Randall line that was somehow repurposed to Dante a little bit because he doesn't oh, yeah, really absolutely. say that anything like that the rest of the film. I think it's just maybe supposed to show us how comfortable he is with Veronica, or it was just funny. I mean, most yeah, likely the answer was it was just funny, but it's funny. It definitely seems more appropriate coming out of uh, out of Randall. You would expect it more coming out of him after you learn his character, you know. But um, and he Randall probably does fuck fruit for vegetables, you know. <laughs> I mean, cantaloupe, he doesn't really, you know, whatever. I guess whatever's on sale, probably. It, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get a good you deal. You don't there. really want to ask Randall about that. Just like you don't want to review his video store history. You don't want to know what that dude's renting. You just don't. And, <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, and well, what we are going to find out is what you alluded to. Maybe the most famous scene. Actually, I would say it is the most famous scene in Clerks happens next. After that conversation, they pop up. Veronica gets, gets recognized by a customer named Willem who she calls Snowball due to his snowballing fetish. This leads Dante to learn that Veronica went down and, you know, snowballed him. And he asked, you know, how many dicks have you sucked? And she says, well, him and 35 other guys. Well, well then there's Dante too. So that's 37. Dante flips like out and it's capped off by him shouting at her. 
pay trying not to suck any dick on the way through the parking lot. Hey, hey, you, get back here. And you can't forget the customer's epic response when Dante tells him how many dicks his girlfriend has sucked. And he says, In a row? <laughs> so why is this so funny, man? It's still, I've seen this hundreds of times probably. And it's, I don't know, it's still hysterical every time. It is. It is. And I, I don't know either. It never gets old, dude. I mean, it's funny as fuck. I just the delivery, the, the way it's like, you know, I mean, the whole like, I didn't freak out like this when you told me how girls you fucked. And he's like, this is different. This is important. <laughs> you know, how many? <laughs> yeah. And just the whole, the whole, the whole thing that, you know, that, hey, she sucked 37 dicks. You know, I mean, that's pretty impressive. I mean, I've, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that have sucked more dick than that, but that's still a pretty solid number, I would think, you know. Um, again, shout out to uh, the guy who plays Snowball. That actually is Scott Mosier, who uh, is a major part of, I think, everything Kevin Smith does. Uh, definitely the Clerks. Through Clerks 2, I think. I think through Clerks 2. And he still co-produces some stuff or whatever, but he's more of a real executive producer. Now, I think. You kind of brought it up. Here, Dante has no sympathy. When Veronica starts talking about how many, he has no, he's just mad. Oh, he needs to know. Yeah, he's like, I but know. the flip side was when he told her how many more, like he slept with like four times as uh, many women as she slept with guys and he didn't care. Like she felt okay. kind of bad and he just brushed it off or whatever. And she kind of said, okay, I get it. And here he won't do the same. I, I think this is just the, the flick pointing out that I don't think Dante deserves Veronica. I think maybe he deserves Caitlin a little bit. You know, he can't. Well, he also does. He also does say that, like, uh, hey, you know, why would you have to suck their dick? Why can't you just sleep with them like any decent person would? So if she originally told him, hey, I fucked 37 guys. You think he would have the same reaction? I mean, I think once it takes it off, hand in hand. I mean, once consent is given, I don't think it matters anymore. Knock yourself out, really. At that point, you're just counted as just just mark it one on the scoreboard and move on. I don't really care about the logistics of it. Mark it eight, dude. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And I thought about it, and I think what makes it so funny is not just how well it's acted, but that there's so many levels to it. Even if you look when you know he figures out that he she, uh, that Veronica snowballed him. He has to deal with a customer and she's counting. And if you kind of look, she's doing the thing and she's kind of counting on her hands or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah. shouldn't be so surprising if you're really paying attention. And then when she delivers it and then it's 36, like something like 36, because she's so worried that she's even trying to shave one off, even though it's him, just like right. the 36 will sound better than 37. And then she leaves and you get the escalation of Dante telling the customer, my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks. And then just the way he reels it off in a row, that's another level. And then he goes outside and yells at her, you know, try not to suck any dick on your way through the parking lot. That's another level. And then the guy yeah, starts following her. There. That's another <laughs> level. And the doctor's like, hey, you get back here. That is like an onion <laughs> joke right there. It is multiple layers. Yeah, layers. It's the only yeah. reason I can think it's so good because it was a good joke to begin with. And then they like, you know, improv the hell out of it. They and then it like four times. And then, and then, and then it just kept building on it till we get this crescendo. And if you uh, have watched any of the documentaries or anything about this, they talk about trying to sell the, the film to Miramax, which they ultimately did. And Harvey Weinstein walked out the first time. And to keep him in the second time, they basically were like, you can't leave until you hear somebody say 37. Like at that point, if you're not in, knock yeah. yourself out. But that was the whole linchpin of just get to hear. If you get to hear and you're not laughing, then I don't know what to tell you. 
you can't really say much more than that. I mean, that's. Oh yeah, if you haven't laughed at all at this point, then uh, then yeah, don't even bother with the rest of the movie, really. Cause... Yeah, this is not the flick for you. Then it does you a favor. <laughs> go ahead, go get some popcorn and duck into. I I don't I don't even know whatever the, the whatever go go see something else. After Veronica clears out, Dante settles down a little bit. He gets an irate video store customer named Wanarski, and we get introduced to Randall. First, we hear Wanarski talking about Randall. He's sleeping on the job, and we see Randall fucking with a woman waiting outside the video store to rent dental school, I believe. And all this is while Randall is, you know, several hours late to work. Uh, two thoughts on our introduction to Randall here. It's not quite Veronica with the fire extinguisher, but it's still pretty good, right? Yeah, I think you get a good idea of the, at least somewhat of what kind of character Randall is, being that he's late and just obviously not giving a fuck. And then, uh, you know, back of tapes, like when he finally does come in. So obviously, Wynarski wasn't the first one to come in and drop his fucking tape off, you know. So this is probably a common thing with Randall, and obviously he just doesn't care, but it gives you an idea of his character between that and, uh, you know, and the, and the fucking with the lady out front. You know, so now you got to, okay, this is who this guy is kind of going to be, you know, and then it just builds from there. Oh, and right down the line when uh, he realizes Dante's there, because Dante's not supposed to be there today. Right. And I was like, shit, if I'd known you were here, I'd have come in even later. That's yeah. who he is. And Dante does get a good burn here. You can tell he was probably still mad about Veronica when he drops the uh, the air traffic controller joke. When Dante's like, actually, that's his night job. That's a yeah. solid one. And Dante usually doesn't talk back to the customers at all. So you can tell he was a little bit salty. And I think it helps when you watch this movie to know that Kevin Smith originally cast himself as Randall, which is why Randall gets some of the lines like, you know, I'm a firm believer in the philosophy of a ruling class, especially since I rule. I feel yeah. like that was in the trailer. I feel that was the trailer line. And I like that. Actually, I love that when Arsky forgets his keys and then uh, yeah. Dante toss him in the trash. And about a scene later, he's asking, you know, uh, Randall, like, hey, you know, have you see my keys? And Randall's like, yeah. No time for love, Dr. Jones. And meanwhile, he's got all the videos like on his head. He's carrying all the fucking things, walking back over to the video store. So what do you think? Randall lets the chick in the store and he'd better $20 and she wouldn't get to rent dental school. Does, uh, does he get the 20 bucks or what happens there? I would think so, man. I don't think he's the kind of guy to be like, ah, just kidding. You know, I think he probably took that 20 bucks. Would she give it to him? I mean. Maybe, you know, if I was him, I would have took the 20 bucks and then still let her rent it because I don't want to fuck it. He, he knows but then she wouldn't get, then she should get the $20 back because the bet was she wouldn't rent it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And it's, it's funny. He seems like he follows through with his shit. So I bet you, yeah, he probably said, nope, fuck off, give him my 20 bucks. My <laughs> guess is she's not allowed to rent at the video store anymore. It's yeah. one of the spots I can say that it feels like there's a scene missing there that they could have gone a little bit further with that one. And you do see Randall like blatantly check her ass out when she walks in. Oh, and he actually, And he does the same thing basically anytime there's a female on screen. So they're very consistent about who Randall is. And I think, again, they get us right into it. You get who he is. They don't have to spend a lot of time on it. That's good writing, good presentation, good everything. Sometime after that, Randall comes back over. He's worked enough. This introduces the plot about Caitlin Bree. She's Dante's ex from high school. This is an important storyline for Dante, and it introduces several more of the running jokes we get throughout the film. Uh, Soup, any thoughts on how they set up Caitlin here? And again, I mentioned it earlier, but I mean, Veronica's too good for Dante, right? He's nuts to be kind of pining for Caitlin when he's already got Veronica, right? Is this an Archie and Betty thing or what? 
Archie, yeah. maybe Veronica, right? Well, I agree because Veronica does, you know, she seems like a nicer person as far as when it comes to being in a relationship with, you know, where Caitlin seems like kind of a piece of shit, but they have the history, you know, they were together in high school or whatever. So he's hung up on that and been talking to her recently on the phone and shit, you know, so he's kind of got it in his head already. And then when Randall reads the wedding announcement, which is in the paper, which I think is kind of weird, but I mean, who reads the paper anyway? Anyway, so I guess back then maybe it could that could be possible. When he throws it down the counter, he's like, "I think all three, you need to sit down and talk about this," you know. So it was a good way to bring that up, you know. And obviously Dante is now in shock. I mean, this is the first. Of, well, I don't know if it's the first, but it's one of the probably maybe the biggest one of oh fuck things that happened to him during this day. I guess the first thing was having to come into work, and then the shutters being shut or jammed shut, but. Uh, I mean, this is one of those days. And I think that's the idea. You know, we've all had those at work where everything, you know, what else could go wrong? Never ask that question. Never say it out loud, at least. I love the idea that they have a payphone and it's an employee only payphone. Mm-hmm. I think that's just absolutely <laughs> hysterical. And the whole thing that he called the newspaper task, is this a misprint? They're like, oh, what do we misspell? He's like, no, the, the entire thing. Did maybe somebody else call and make it up? If even if someone else did, how the fuck would they have known that? I love that it winds up. The dude, just hangs, <laughs> the dude just hangs up on him in the end. He can't even deal with Dante shit. But I will defend the reading of the newspaper back then. If it was slow, you didn't have a phone. You read everything in the store. I would read oh, yeah, every course, single right. magazine, every newspaper. Eventually, just if you had time, you had nothing else to do. I mean, even right, I, right. I would do extra work sometimes, and eventually you'd just be like, I guess you know, we got to do something. Uh, I mentioned it before. Why do you think Randall wanted to borrow Dante's car at 2 30 in the morning, dude? That is a mystery, man. Because, um, you know, he is not he's not going to rent a video. What if it was to go solve a mystery like Scooby Doo or some shit? That's what he secretly does at night. Dante's riding motorcycles around, and uh, Randall solving mysteries with a dog in a van somewhere. Could be that, could be that. Although, you know, judging from what Randall says and a lot of things throughout the throughout his entire span of care, he's probably hooking up with some, you know, 18-year-old chick or something. That's good soup! I, I would think more of a lady of the night kind of deal or whatever. I mean, maybe he's hunting for the, uh, the Jersey Devil. Randall's one of those dudes. I don't know what he does in his free time, but it scares me a little bit. And I guess the idea that he called Dante throws out the idea that they could be roommates, so... Probably just something to uh, note there. And I think they good, did a good job with Caitlin. We don't know who she is, but you have the idea of like, she's that girl from high school, right? She would bounce from boyfriend to boyfriend or she'd have a boyfriend and cheat on him all the time. But yet all the dudes would be interested in her anyways. One of the best things the movie does is to show, don't tell, or with doing little work, do a really good job of setting up who these people are. And that lets us, you know, kind of embrace all of these scenes that are a lot of dialogue or whatever that don't necessarily move the plot forward a ton because when they need to move the plot, they move the plot. Right. You know, another thing about that telephone scene is that while he's on the phone, he had the litter box, the cat litter box, which why they have the cat in the fucking store anyway, I don't know. But so he said he sets a fucking litter box on the counter, man, for like while he's making the phone call. And of course, a customer comes up and of course, the asshole cat comes up and takes a shit right in front of him, you know, so it was like <laughs> as soon as he hangs up, he's all like, you know, but. Yeah, little things like that are kind of are just brilliant, you know. Two things on that. A, I never quite understood the cat. Is it a store cat? Is it a a cat they I, I never understood the cat exactly, but I don't really mind. But it's a famous story that Kevin Smith told when they were selling this movie. Was that cat they didn't 
they kept feeding it it didn't let it shit or something like that for a while because they wanted to get it on camera and then they did uh, one take and it didn't work and they were like oh fuck man what how long is this going to take and then second how do you take, stop bam. a cat from shitting if it's got a shit <laughs> i forget the logistics he even joke that's that's why they didn't have the uh no animals were harmed in the making of this movie tag because right. they had to fuck with this cat a little bit to try to get the shit on cue it's in just the, the a flat of like an iced tea box that you would get for a 12-pack of iced tea bottles. It's just that with a little sawdust in it. I think I don't even know that it's necessarily kitty litter. I just never understood the again, maybe it was supposed to right. mean something you know, once upon a time when the whole Dante's Inferno and the circles of hell and that kind of thing, the black cat maybe represented something, or I don't know, you just have a cat. Had a cat, yeah, man. Hey dude, we made it this far. Without discussing Jay and Silent Bob. And that kind of makes sense because they're really just kind of comic relief in this film. It's not centered around them nearly even to the degree, say, Mallrats is when they're just comic relief there for the most part. Uh, Soup, any thoughts on kind of the, the introduction to Jay and Silent Bob here? Their classic scene with Olaf, uh, more or less anything except their final scene in the quick stop towards the end of the flick. Well, you know, I mean, I like I like the intro right away because, you know, you get the text and it's Jay and Silent Bob and then it's them and you kind of get an idea that Jay, you know, who the character of Jay is very, very loud, very, uh, you know, has a lot to say. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a punk. He's kind of a punk, but he's soda or maybe a beer. I don't know. Picks it across the thing. He's like just yelling to those three and then fucking, uh, you know, Snowball rolls up and he's like, what you want, Grizzly Adams? So obviously, obviously, Snowball's out there just buying uh, weed from fucking James Silent Bob all day. That's why he comes into the store looking so fucking spaced out every time you see him. You know, that's my theory, anyway. But anyway, yeah, the introduction of James Silent Bob, great. You know, and then um, you know that's the first scene. The second time you see him is when uh, is when he's got the cousin Olaf in there, and uh, I mean that's just that's another one that's just fucking like legendary, dude. Berserker, man. <laughs> the first time I saw that, it blew my mind. Kind of, I had the same reaction the chick had. Like, did he say making fuck? That's just yeah, I had metal. to rewind it. Legitimate VHS rewind moment. Did he say making fuck? And he does it twice because he does it here. Sure and then he, you see him doing it again with Willem, with Snowball, uh, again a little bit later. I like how they kind of did the Jay dancing a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there. And then in the end, when you finally, or, you know, the final time they do it when Silent Bob finally starts breaking it down with him. I've always loved that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just Muse, right? This is one of the few roles, like Michael Fassenbender couldn't play this. Toss whatever actor you want. This no, is only, this is Muse. Only Muse can play that. Yeah. <laughs> well, he the character such... was based on him anyway, so it's got to be him, dude. You know. But that energy—it's—it's it's all about that energy and that weird. I, he is so unique, and I think maybe the most brilliant thing—I don't know if it was intentional or not—but pairing him with basically a silent, you know, partner allows him because that's jay right he just needs someone to talk at not to talk with right right and uh, you know kevin smith does a great job just being silent bob you know and his mannerisms are awesome like he'll just point at a guy or just have the weird look or you know whatever and jay knows exactly what he's talking about you know like they just have that they're hetero life mates man you know yeah it kills it a little bit in the later when it's, now he can write stuff on the on the phone or whatever i don't mind yeah. it but i did kind of like the idea that he, he had you could only talk once a movie or it, most of the communication had to be, very, you know, nonverbal or too, you know? writing it down. Yeah. Overall, I just think there's so much fun. And there was a reason that everybody loved them. And I do want to point out that we uh, learned why silent Bob bought sugar. 
there's a random scene where he comes in, he buys sugar, and he actually buys something else. And Kevin, Smith, someone asked Kevin Smith on Twitter, and he answers, and he said, "Silent Bob bought a box of sugar in a Plucky Duck candy container. I was a big Tiny Toons fan. I edited out the payoff in which we saw Jay eating the sugar from the box as the ambulance pulled away, saying, "I knew one of those motherfuckers was going to kill someone someday." So that's <laughs> would have been the payoff is Jay just eats the sugar. Ah, so it wasn't sugar in the gas tank. As, no, as it was done, just it was just him eating sugar. Okay. But for the record, at the end of Jay and Silent Bob reboot, there's a, a post credit stinger or whatever, and it shows them putting the gum in the locks and them talking about how they've been doing it for 20 years or whatever. So right, right. it was Jay and Silent Bob who put the gum in the locks. And I think it's during the contractor scene where Jay just sneaks in and he starts eating random food like Twinkies and hoes and he's just stuffing them all in his mouth and in his oh yeah he's just thing. jamming fucking hoes in his mouth <laughs> yeah I mean he gets a again you know the Olaf stuff is great but you get the classics when Jay's like I'll fuck anything that moves what's up baby what's up right. and uh, the one that's kind of I, I forget about you don't really notice when he says I don't care if she's my cousin I'm gonna knock those boots again tonight right <laughs> You know what we're gonna do, man? We're gonna go to this party. We're gonna get some pussy. I'm gonna fuck this bitch. I'm gonna fuck the yeah, dude. That, I mean, that's fucking muse, dude. <laughs> it feels that stuff wasn't even some of it was scripted, but some of it feels like Kevin Smith wrote muse does muse shit or something like that in there. Yeah, I feel like that was definitely in the script. Before we climb the roof to play hockey, let's talk about some of the customers we meet. We've got the guy who gets his hand stuck in the can of Pringles. We got the the roofer who jumps in on the Death Star conversation. Randall sells cigarettes to a four-year-old girl. There's some talk about jizz boppers. There's a guidance counselor. There's some milkmaids. There's an old guy who just wants to use the toilet. Uh, Soup, any favorites here? Any thoughts on kind of on any of the uh, the random customers here for the most part? I don't know. I don't know that I have a favorite. I do like the variety because you do get a variety of random. Fucking crazy ass fucking customers with crazy habits and crazy quirks or whatever it is, you know, and there's some stereotype that go there. And I think he did a good job at nailing some of these. Absolutely. I will say that the milkmaids are definitely a thing. I worked at a store and there would be people who would take it apart. And here's a little bit of a, a life pro tip for you. Generally, you're, you're taught to stock milk. All of the oldest stuff is in the middle and the front. All of the newest stuff is generally to the sides and to the back because people get tunnel vision. Either because you basically have two categories of people: the milkmaid who check everyone, and everyone else who just grabs the first one they can grab. So yeah. easiest way: you're looking for the newest one. Go to the far side, right or left. Go like two back. If that's not any newer, that's probably not going to be that much newer. And one of oh, the you, you want to rotate, you know, first in, first out, FIFO, you know, so. Yep. Same thing with the whatever kind of shit you're stopping. Yeah, you're with. buying eggs. The freshest eggs are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's always how it works. And uh, shout out Walt Flanagan, who plays a couple of people here. He plays the jizz mopper guy and the guidance counselor, two of my favorites. And I love that the jizz mopper is buying paper towels and glass cleaner, Yeah. given the idea so- that he could possibly be this offended because they're making fun of his job, not because they're being raunchy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point, dude. Because, like, you know, I love Randall's final final quote on that too. After the dude, you know, after the dude flips out on him and everything else, he's like, "Check this out. You think that's offensive? I think you can see your kidneys." 
<laughs> so obviously it's a gay. That was probably a, a hustler or something. That wasn't a Playboy. Yeah. I think that's a. You oh, know, it was really... a little bit more hardcore than a Playboy mag back then, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think Playboy ever got to, to quite that point. Maybe that's why they they went down or not. No, and... that's why the guy wanted the one behind that one. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> yeah dude, did guidance counselor definitely slays me a fair bit, especially when you see like start holding the joint to his nipple and everything like that yeah he's rubbing the egg on his nip dude i never really saw that i don't know i think that was a little bit too far maybe to kind of make fun of guidance counselors but that is made even funnier because when it's happening they're talking to the one the the female customer Mm -hmm. and it builds up to uh her line where she's like oh that's why i artificially inseminate caged animals (laughs) manually masturbate yeah manually there you go yep what i manually masturbate it's that's, important to have a job that matters. <laughs> that is, again, some of the best jokes in the movie are the onion jokes, where it's layer, 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 and it just keeps going. Oh, for sure. And Smith is brilliant at that, man. It's the same thing that kind of happens with the you know the old guy, because Dante gives in on him using the toilet, and then it's over. It's like uh, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. So then it goes from the toilet to the good toilet paper to the, the magazine with the bigger titties. What do you think? Did that dude really have to poop, or was he just trying to rub one out? I, uh, you know, I think I think it might be both because he did need the toilet paper, you know, Grimey, but, but again, that yeah. could just be for his whatnot, you know. That's so. what I mean. So, Grimey I like to either think way. It's both. Maybe maybe he shits and 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 fucking spanks at the same time, uh, but uh, who knows? And in the dark, no. Well, I guess it wasn't dark at that point, yeah, because there were still lights. So they go off at like what four fourteen or something every day. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's so real to life that that would be something that an owner wouldn't want to fix, because especially because the uh, electrician owes money to the video store that he also owns. Yeah, that is something that completely seems so real that it wouldn't surprise me if it was. I do have to say the fact that they did the whole thing with the guidance counselor strikes me as something where Kevin Smith told his guidance counselor he wanted to make movies, and his guidance counselor was no, you can't do that or whatever. So maybe he was taking a little bit of a shot at him. At he put that in there for a reason, yeah. And I, when Randall says, everyone who comes in here is way too uptight, this job would be great if it wasn't for the fucking customers. I feel like that was another line for the trailer, but they just cut fucking. Could be right, but that's a line I've used plenty of times at work. I still do sometimes at work. <laughs> They're not wrong, though. It, it really would be. I mean, it's just the goddamn customers. And when Dante brings it back around about uh, when he's telling Dante, or excuse me, when he's telling Randall about getting the ticket, Randall's like, why, why are you not mad? And it's the whole Caitlin thing. But then Dante says, you know. Living proof. But you never sold cigarettes to kids. I didn't. You did. Really? Yep. A uh, little girl, maybe four years old. Holy shit, that girl? Yeah, as opposed to the hundreds of other children you've sold cigarettes while working here. That always makes me laugh, because of course, Randall, that's probably why Dante doesn't even let Randall work in the store, right? Because Randall just does not give a fuck about anything. Right. I think Randall does fill in from time to time because in the begin, right at the beginning, he's like, "Well, why don't you call Randall?" You know, but obviously Randall's working at the video store, so video store seems like the better gig, especially if the pay is the same. I'll just say that. Sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, speaking of the video store, we don't get a lot of scenes in there, but we get a very classic scene when we see a woman and her young daughter show up to ask for a copy of Happy Scrappy Hero Pup. Uh, so what do you think here? Randall's going to make an order to the distributor. Does he have a system on what he orders? Is he just ordering stuff that he wants to watch? Is this actually what the boss told him? No, I think I think a lot of this is 
I think this is a lot of what he wants to watch, but I also think that maybe he because of because of that he has a you know a specific clientele that may you know an elite clientele that comes in and and, and wants these or if not then maybe he's just doing it for himself. But I, earlier, like right before the scene, he does say, "Oh shit, I got to make an order." You know, so he already had it in his head, so he, he knew he was making an order. And uh, at the time when he was on the phone with them, here comes this. So now it's now it's on, you know. <laughs> it seemed genuine, and I think that makes sense because they're a shitty video store, right? So they probably make right. most of their money from running porn. Yeah, if you want the greasy fucking videos, that's the kind of place he would go. However, he does go to Big Choice later and get something real fucked up, but, you know. <laughs> Which is interesting because apparently the uh, original idea was that he was going to go to Big Choice and have a conversation with a guy, uh, Vincent Pereira. Pereira, excuse me if I mispronounce his name, but he's a dude uh, that Kevin Smith worked with at the video store. He got him into indie films or whatever, and they were going to go there. They're going to meet him. Eric Randall was going to meet him, and he was going to be like the perfect clerk. Oh, how can I help you do everything awesome? And, and Randall was just going to eat it up, but apparently the, the sound deck died while they were filming it or whatever, so they lost it and they had to scrap it, so that's why you just get Randall in there with a little bit of happy music. Which right. works, but I think it would have been interesting. They were going to meet like their Bizarro Universe version, right? Like the clerk who cares. Oh, yeah, from like a different dimension is... kind of thing. Right, because right. it's a nice <laughs> video store. So these clerks are actually nice to the customers and everything. And Randall would be hypocritical and enjoy that. But even though he loves being shitty to the customers, he would love being treated well when he's a customer. Yeah, and we yeah. get the, the little bit with the ruse, too. That was always a good one where the customer is trying to, you know, ask him which movie he prefers, and she holds up the same two, and he tells him. Yeah, he yeah, that was know. definitely, uh, definitely very, very cool on on Randall's part because he knew all along, and like she just played right into it. And then as she storms out, he's like, "Yeah, hey, you're not allowed to rent here anymore." And the best part of that is Jay's just like, "Yeah." <laughs> That whole scene, actually watching it, I think he's lighting up a joint. They're dancing around a little bit. It's great to watch them through. Just uh, like the outside. With the right. video store. People are com- I think people are coming up and he's like dealing weed and shit. <laughs> and if I remember right, I think one of the documentaries Kevin Smith mentioned, that's actually the first scene he wrote was the, the Rouge scene. Nice. <laughs> All right, dude. So I guess it's game time. We got to drop the puck here. Dante finds out he's stuck at the store all day. Boss is in Vermont till Tuesday. So he says, fuck it. We're going to close the store. We're going to play hockey. Randall thinks they're going to block off the road. Still not sure how that was going to work. But instead, they play on the roof. Unfortunately, they only have one ball. They get about eight minutes into their game, and it's over. Let's start here. I always like the idea of playing hockey on a roof, but kind of dangerous with skates, right? Not a high... uh, Boy, uh, not a lot of room for checking and body action there, I feel. Not no, really no, no. Very, a very environment either. Yeah, very dangerous hockey on the roof with or without skates. With skates, even more well, dangerous. Almost all of them with skates. The dude who comes up, no skates. And uh, the dude who comes up, that's also Mosier. But with the shaved beard and everything. That's called oh, Mosier it? as okay. well. Nice. Yeah, and he's uh, <laughs> very antagonizing. Um, he just wants some fucking cigarettes. You know what do you mean? But see, they fucked up and put it on the sign that they're, you know, closed after the until after the first period or whatever. So dude looks up there and then he climbs up the ladder. Which I don't know. Would you have done that? How bad do you want that pack of smokes? And you actually think they're going to be like, oh, okay, let me stop the game and come down and get your. No, they're going to be like, fuck you. I would have went to a different store. Yeah, I also would have gone to a different store instead of climbing up onto the roof. But let's be honest here. Dude, have you ever laced and unlaced skates? 
that takes probably minute and a half to two minutes on and off each. That's four minutes. Are they really going to let Dante stop? Two minutes, take his skates off, climb down the ladder, open the store up, do the thing, climb back up, two minutes, skates back on, restart the game. He he was never going down there. He wrote, you know, until after the first period. But no, that was going to be after the game, I feel. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's one of those retail things. That's how it works, right? No one is really there until they go up on the roof and they're not available. And then all of a sudden everybody shows up. Right. <laughs> and again, well, actually that's funny dude, because like the other, nah, are you sure that's Mosher? Because uh, he actually shows up too. He, he shaved his beard. Yeah. He, it, that Kevin Smith actually called him out. He said that's the only though. special effect in the whole film is when Mosher uh, talks to himself. Okay. Like, yeah. Are you yeah cause he, he did the, like, he had the beard first and then shaved it off. Nice. I like that. I did not know that before. Good. So you can learn something every yeah, day. Yeah, while Flanagan plays like four roles. Basically, it was when somebody didn't show up or whatever, and it was had to be someone who was already there. Nice. Good stuff for that. And, uh, you know, a couple of classic things here. When, you know, uh, Dante tells Randall he's closing the store, Randall, another line from the trailer, I'm pretty sure, is like, the argument's here. Insubordination rules. You know, Randall got all these lines like you get if he was one of those dolls with a pull-up string in the back and you'd pull it. He's yeah. got about five or six of those zingers. And Jay gets maybe the best line that he's not delivered to Silent Bob in the flick. When Dante, you know, looking for another ball, Dante says, hey, there any balls down there? And Jay's like, about the biggest pair you ever seen, Dingleberry. That's great. Yeah, that's great. I laugh every time at that, too, man. It never fails to make me laugh. And uh, shout out Mosher, like, dude, slaps that, you know, he takes a slap shot. He knocks that ball so far away, but did he really think those dudes were going to uh, give sell him cigarettes after that? Is that no, really the best no. motion? You just picked up the ball, and be like, "Yo, I'm not giving you your ball back until you." Sell me well, he cigarettes. hit it right into the fucking sewer. Yeah, that was amazing. I, you know, you know I I'm surprised. A... I'm honestly shocked that they didn't beat the shit out of him because, like, I would expect to get the shit beat out of me if I did that so, to a group of hockey players. You know, I mean, he was smart though because he was the one dude who wasn't on skates. So right when they have the face off, he just pushes Dante, and he's got right. all the leverage. This isn't ice. There's no advantage yeah. to having skates on here. So that's Dante goes back, and then bada bing, bada boom. And it's also worth mentioning the Gatorade thing here when they're right before they're going to play. Dude's like, come on, man. What's up with the free Gatorade? You're closing the store. What the fuck? Why are you going to skip on the drinks? They drink right. all the drinks. Again, it's the same <laughs> thing. Like give an inch, take a mile. And it happens throughout the movie to Dante. Every time he gives in to somebody, he gets taken advantage of like crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And that could bring us into uh Well, I mean, if you close the store for hockey, why would you not close it to go to a wake? And that brings us to Julie Dwyer's wake. And there is a pretty much the only major difference between the theatrical version and the extended cut of the movie, the 10th anniversary theatrical cut. They go to the funeral home. They, we cut to them running out. We get to hear what happened after, but we don't get to see it. Uh, apparently there was more in the script, but they didn't have the money to film it in the extended cut. We get that scene. It's definitely expanded though, because it includes plot elements from mall rats and chasing Amy. It's animated in the style of the clerk's cartoon clerks, the animated series, Joey Lauren Adams reprises her role as Alyssa Jones from chasing Amy in the scene as a voice actress. And they also kind of reference events from mall rats, uh, doesn't really matter if you've seen the anime and seen it or not. It kind of ends the same way. They knock over the casket. They eventually have to run for their lives. I will say, I don't, I think it makes it seem more on both Randall and Dante and not necessarily just Randall's fault than it seems in the original. But, uh, Sue, thoughts on uh, Julie Dwyer's Wake and the car ride to Julie Dwyer's Wake? 
Well, the car ride, the car ride is great because, uh, you know, it's the two of them in the vehicle. There's, uh, you know, there is music playing in the background on the radio. So they do have the radio on, but they're also into a conversation. And the conversation that they have on the way there is fucking hilarious. Basically, Randall talks about his, uh, you know, what goes into the whole thing, uh, you know, surprise that the, you know, embolism in a pool or whatever the cause of death for the, for the, for the, for the chick brings about the conversation of Randall's, uh, I believe, cousin or something who, who uh, died trying to suck his own dick, broke his neck trying to suck his own dick, you know, so that stems into the whole, uh, you never tried that kind of thing or whatever. And then Ran or Dante eventually ends up confessing that uh, he could never reach. Meanwhile, Randall's like, well, I never tried it, you sick bastard, you know, so he kind of like, kind of like uh, lured him into into admitting to that. And, uh, and then just fucking totally kicked him in the nuts, which is fucking hilarious. That and, uh, you know, um, earlier, I was saying I was thinking that that is one part of the movie, that's a little bit difficult to watch mainly only well, only because of the camera uh, view there It just goes back and forth between the two of them It's just like pans back and forth between the two of them so quickly and so often that it's almost like it almost makes you a little bit dizzy. But um but aside from that, I mean, I mean, it's a great scene, dude. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on how it might have happened when they get back and they start talking about Randall knocking the casket over? Did you ever think why that might have happened? Uh, I, I don't. I don't. My, my, uh, I guess my first thought is maybe he just fucking leaned on it and was talking to somebody and just fucking leaned on it. And next thing you know, it knocks over and the fucking body fell out, man, you know, so. I don't know how else he would not. I mean, I don't think those things are that easy to knock over. I'm no expert or anything, but. You know. So spoilers here. We said we spoiled everything. And this is kind of from the law scene. More or less, you know, Brandel embarrasses Dante because there's a whole thing where Dante apparently got caught going down on Julie Dwyer by her parents. So he doesn't want to face them. So he's trying to hide from them. And of course, Randall, you know, makes things worse. So he tells Randall to leave. He throws him the keys. And the, th the keys, and this is something that only happened in animated, they go into, like, the crotch of her pants. So then he's trying to get the keys back out from the crotch <laughs> of her pants. And that's eventually how the, the casket gets knocked over and why the parents flip out and people are chasing them. That and, makes sense. And, I mean, it doesn't really work in reality, but it's funny enough just a nice little Easter egg here. One of the guys who played uh, in the soccer scene, like the dude, I think in the devil's jersey with the long hair, he's actually what seems to be the lady running out. He's wearing like his mom's dress or whatever. Oh, they just use it He has the long hair from the back. Because again, right. they had to just kind of, you know, use the same few people uh, that they had access to. And as far as the car ride over, that's pretty great. And you actually hear that Randall's not bullshitting at the end of the movie where the lady comes in to pick up the, the dead dude. And she comments on having to, uh, the weirdest thing she had seen before was a dude who died trying to suck his own dick. And right. Randall's kind of blown away for a second if you watch that. So that's a nice callback. And there's uh, one more here. They actually produced a, a little short called The Flying Car for The Tonight Show. And it's basically, it was a Conan, I forget, it was The Tonight Show or Conan, or maybe it was The Tonight Show with Conan. I forget how that all worked. But it's basically the scene we get here on the way to the funeral. It's Randall and Dante in a car, but at this time they're talking about, you know, what Dante would do to get a flying car, and then Randall builds on this whole thing, well, you can sell the patent to the people, and you'll be a hero, and it'll solve all this shit, but, like, you gotta give up a toe, then, like, a doctor's gonna oh. molest you, and then, like, the doctor's gonna, like, and his friends are gonna molest you, but come on, man, it's to save, you know, humanity, this is gonna save the human races, you know, and again, same thing, Dante, you know, finally is like, alright, alright, I'll do it, I'll do it, and Randall's like, oh, dude, you're sick. I can't believe you got Damn. <laughs> Pretty grimy. 
And, you know, after they get back, surprisingly, and this was uh, when I first watched something that surprised me, is that we actually meet Caitlin. I never thought she'd really show up, but she shows up to surprise Dante. She knew he was going to flip out when he found out about the engagement. So that kind of we get a long scene with her and Dante talking about their past relationship, what they're going to do. Dante goes to change, and then we get a long scene between Randall and Caitlin, and then she fucks a dead guy in the bathroom. Uh, Soup. Before we get to the, you know, the dead guy of it all, what did you think of Caitlin Bree? Did it fit with kind of what they've been building her up to be throughout the flick so far? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think it came into play right at the perfect time. And I'm sure, the, you know, obviously it was written this way. But for the first time in the movie, now, like the whole I'm not supposed to be here today or whatever has come up a couple of times already at this point. But this is the first time where he had just gotten the fine for the cigarettes and everything. And, uh, and he's like... You know, and Rick Darris just left. And yeah, told right him, before oh, that, Rick Darris had admitted to banging Caitlin when they were dating, and, and Dante yeah. didn't know, but everyone else knew. Right. So they walk out, and he's like, "Fuck, what next?" You know, and then there's and now this, now chaos. You know, so that's another big fucking what next thing. So I think that was the perfect timing on that. I'm sure it was by design, but it was great. Yeah, not sure how she got in there. She must have come in through the back or something. He turned it was around. Very and she, I'm not so, sure how that. It was a little bit of a Looney Tunes cut, but I don't mind it because it worked. I thought Caitlin was exactly who she should have been, but you know, from I guess a dude who's had his, you know, fair share of dating things, or maybe like there are so many warning signals here. She's kind of, you know, I'll give Dante a chance or whatever, but she's also like, I'm not interested in getting married, and she's also about to dump her fiance and then willing to kind of, you know, bang or go out with Dante the night she dumps her fiance. I I don't I don't know, man. I think Dante days just his judgment is off here and i guess we've all had that that one person that makes us crazy in love or whatever she also pulls the uh the shoe polish runner out which is pretty great (laughs) and you referred to it earlier that when she goes back there in the back she fucks the guy because there's no lights and that's because the boss was cheap so i like the way that it comes back around here that it also is just petty but it also has a big impact on the plot and I do have to actually say that the scene between Randall and Caitlin might be the best acted scene in the entire movie. I, I don't know. You know, I think there's some good scenes, but there is definitely an, an element here where you can't tell what the relationship between Randall and Caitlin is. Like, does Randall like Caitlin and just not think he's, you know, she's good for Dante or does he not like her? but he knows that Dante likes her, so he doesn't want to mistreat her. And what does she actually think of Randall? Does she think he's a perv? You can see the kind of a, a similar sense of humor. Is there a weird kind of attraction there? I don't know. I've never really... Yeah, they definitely know each other. They definitely have a history. I don't think they have a uh, romantic history, although it seems like she uh, gets around a bit, and Randall probably does too. But I think Randall's friendship with Dante is a little bit more the uh, focal point here because that's you know that's why they know each other the way they do. And that's why they're having the conversations that they're having and everything else. And I think it's more of, you know, you know, their familiarity familiarity with each other came through, you know, Dante spending so many, uh, you know, how many, however many fucking years dating her or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it was probably Randall. Well, he knows he was always... fucking person she is. So, you know, so. Yeah. It was always Randall. He was complaining to about her, right? Like Randall had to hear about all the times that she fucked him over or whatever. And I want to point out that again, uh, she tells Randall she's going to go in the back to, to use the bathroom or whatever. And Randall does the same thing here, checks out her ass same way he did at the uh, with the chick at the video store. 
And uh, one final thing here on the scene between Dante and Caitlin, when she first comes in and they talk about their engagement, they're just sitting there and Kevin Smith kind of, you know, parks the camera. It's about five minutes. Uh, That was actually shot on the first night of filming. So that's pretty goddamn impressive. They were still trying to figure it out, but you know, he said that has like seven pages of dialogue or something like that. They actually knocked that out on the first night of filming. And uh, anything else before we move on to the fucking the dead guy of it all? Uh, no, I do think it's great that she just is like right at like it doesn't even phase her that he's sitting there watching her hermaphroditic porn, you know, she just kind of expects it. Yeah, it's the best of, that's funny. And uh, I like her outfit, she's kind of like a little bit of Paula Abdul. She's got the suspenders with like a tie, it's a very Everything about this movie is so 90s, which, again, is probably why I have a bit of soft spot for it. But uh, I do have to say one thing that was not a soft spot was uh, the dead dude's massive boner because they bring it out. And uh, by the, uh, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see. But it looks like he's packing about 18 inches from the way that joint is raised up. I think that was just a camera angle there, man. I'm sure it was, but it's it's hysterical. (laughs) You have to make it bigger. And I think the worst part isn't. uh, All right. It's really bad that she fucked a dead dude, but she loved it. Oh, that's, yeah. And the well, fact that she tells uh, Dante that's the best that ever was between us or whatever. I mean, they can't ever have sex again, though, right? Like, on some level, he has to be, she preferred a dead well, dude to now me. Now the bar is super high. Yeah, <laughs> she preferred a dead guy. But the, but the the weird thing about that is, I don't know, as, as much of a slut as she may be and everything else, man, I mean, Randall's right there, and even though they're close knit and everything, do you do you really think somebody would come out and just give specific details about like you know, no no hush hush, no nothing, just like you know? Just... I've known that couple. I've known that couple that were definitely way too open with their sexual experiences. Not incredibly surprising. I don't know if Randall would be the guy you tell, but you get the idea. I mean, put it this way, you know, let's just say she's experienced. I don't really care, whatever. So she's experienced, and this is the best she's ever had. That's kind of crazy, right? So that that puts it on a whole other level. It's back around to Veronica, you know, whatever. After 37, you have an idea. I don't know. It's kind of... It's also kind of hilarious that, the, the, that you know, she was that blown away by, uh, you know, I could say a stiff. I could say somebody that's just laying there. <laughs> but, uh, she thought that was the know, hottest part though i guess she had a yeah, fetish she didn't recognize she liked it you didn't say anything you didn't move it was super hot maybe she has a fetish for this i don't uh you know no you know what else was hilarious say. is that you know once they figured it out they're like you know once they figured out it wasn't him or somebody must have been back there He's like, call the cops. Somebody just raped Caitlin. And he's like, and Randall, of course, is like, well, she said she did all the work. And I just thought that was one of the funniest fucking lines out of that, even though the situation is so hilarious. But even but classic he's not Randall. lying. He's just not lying. like, uh, there were a couple in there. And even in early in Dante Caitlin's conversation, when Dante's like, uh, I'm already in the job market. She's like, uh, yeah, you work in a market, all right. Right. <laughs> and uh, what was it? Uh, Oh, when they're talking about their day too, and Dante's like, "What happened to the walk and the nakedness?" And she's like, "I'm easy, but I'm not that easy." So you get the idea; she does have a certain sense of self awareness. And I, like I said, I wouldn't, you know, there's no need to call her a slut or something. She just she likes to bang people, and she's keeping her options open. I mean, that's that's what you do, right? If you can, yeah. But be that's honest optimal. about it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and that'll come back around. Like, don't fuck one and pine for the other. Yeah. That actually kind of comes back around a little bit here. So, and again, we get there. We talked about it already when the. The, I don't know if she's the, uh, the coroner or whatever when the woman comes in and starts talking we get the reference to her also being on the death where 
Randall's relative died, you know, balls on his resting on his lips balls or whatever. On his chin, dude. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. So that brings us to almost the end of the movie. It's kind of the big confrontation. Randall and Dante talk about their jobs, their futures, Dante's decision between Caitlin and Veronica. Randall goes back to the video store and Dante has a chat with Jay and Silent Bob. Randall takes it upon himself to tell Veronica about Caitlin and she dumps Dante, which leads to a fight between Randall and Dante. It's not exactly Bruce Lee or anything, but it's definitely a fight. In a soup, this is kind of where the movie shows its cards about what it's trying to say. Dante doesn't, he's not sure if he wants to shit comfortably. Or does he take a chance? Do you like how they wrapped up the plot lines here? You got to have the relationship plot lines and the idea of, you know, is Dante going to be a clerk? Can he move on to do something else? Can he do it without Veronica? Do you like how they wrap this up, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely, man. I do like that. I do like that. Uh, you know, the fight scene was kind of, was kind of, you know, whatever it was, what it was. But the, my favorite part about that was the, uh, well, for one, the mess they made in the store, which sucks because now they're going to have to clean that up and they both know that. Two, I don't remember which one, but somebody got hit in the fucking head with a loaf of bread. <laughs> and I just thought that was great to you. <laughs> like, I'm always, just, I've seen that in multiple movies. It never kills. It's like somebody hit someone with an empty pizza box, loaf of bread. Right. Something that really shouldn't hurt you, but just be more or less like a minor. Like, well, see, at the end of the day, that? yeah, these two might be fighting, but they're not going to try to hurt each other. You know, I mean, they're, they're trying to prove they're pissed. But I don't think they're going to, you know, nobody's pulling out a fucking weapon. I don't think anybody's getting stabbed. You know, they're not busting out brass knuckles here. You're not trying to break something. Yeah, this was was totally friends just kind of doing some shit. And I guess a lot of it comes from, why do you think Randall took it upon himself to tell Veronica about Dante and Caitlin? Did he, was he doing that for Dante or because he thought Dante should break up with her? I think in his mind, he was doing it because he knew that Dante wouldn't. And it was what he thought would probably be the best thing for Dante, even though it wasn't because it was the other way around. And meanwhile, at the same time, Dante's figuring out that, you know, not everybody brings you lasagna. <laughs> That's a great irony of the movie. As soon as he's finally like, oh, yeah, I should be with Veronica. Bam, she's there. And that's what sets it off. And I think that's, again, very good writing. And what kind of makes me surprised that, you know, Smith felt he had to put on the original ending that he did, because I think it this is kind of works as a climax and a denouement a little bit. And, you know, Randall, of course, gets a couple of good ones uh, in the whole mix. Uh, when he says, uh, melodrama coming for you is about as natural as an oral bow movement. <laughs> and I got to give clerks credit. They did it before South Park because South Park did an episode where you shit out of your mouth. And this is somebody who actually did it before South Park and before the Simpsons. I don't even think the Simpsons have got that far. But at the beginning of that scene, one of my favorites is uh, when there's, you know, Jay's talking about first. It's like, oh, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd like to jack it to Caitlin or whatever he says. And then he's kind of like talking about Veronica. And he says, uh, didn't I see her change your tire once? And Dante's like, hey, I jacked up the car. All she did was change the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It gives you the idea of just how cool Veronica was and how bad that Dante blows it here. Just a little bit more on the, the Jay and Silent Bob part. It's the first instance we get a Jay song when he walks in, like, weed. it's the first time we get that. And uh, there's a part where you can, it's very obvious. Jay reads a line and he's like, oh shit, I fucked that up. And he says it again. That's definitely Muse flubbing the line and Kevin Smith choosing to leave it in. My grandma used to say, what's a, what's a good plate? No, what's a plate with nothing on it? 
like, it's no, Tommy it's boy, right? It's a uh, you know shoving your. Uh, I can take the. Yeah, I can shove my uh, shove my head up a cow's yeah, um, of, steer his right. ass, and you know, or I can take the butcher's word for it, or whatever. <laughs> so I, I think that's all great, and I do want to say that when they're having the whole conversation, this is Kevin Smith's thesis statement here. When I think Dante's talking about not wanting to. You know, he just he's shitting comfortably and he's not sure what he wants to do. And Randall's is basically like, you know, what do you think is going to happen if you don't make yourself uncomfortable? You're just going to be stuck here. And Randall's kind of made that call already that he understands he's probably never going to progress past that. But Dante still can't figure out what he wants to do. And this is kind of Kevin Smith explaining why he made this movie, right? That makes a lot of sense, especially now. Like, um, I will say that I have a different perspective on on this movie because I don't know that I've rewatched this since I've seen Clerks 3. And not to give anything away about Clerks 3, because I know eventually we're going to get there. But uh, one thing I do want to say is that uh, the bulk of of the part three of this is the making of this movie, basically, pretty much. And so it was a different way of kind of looking at it from from after seeing that, you know, also, which kind of gave me a different perspective, which was kind of cool, you know, looking at it kind of like from a different angle on the outside in and shit. Yeah, this is probably one of those things, right, where they both have valid points. Randall and Dante on both sides of the argument have some valid points and that makes it resonate a little more and make it feel more real because that's how most arguments are. It's never really cut and dried black and white. It's always gray. This person has some points. This person has some points. How do you figure out what you're going to do? And I think that's what the whole clerk series has been about. And I do want to point out that we, we know that the film takes place on a Saturday from the wake scene. And because of the magazines we see, you can basically figure out that Clerks almost has to take place on April 24th, 1993. Not a huge deal. People have kind of figured this out before, but a lot goes into uh, Ice Cube has a today was a good day. And people have spent, I don't know how many thousands of hours trying to figure out what day that was. If you had to choose, that means Clerks takes place on Saturday, April 24th, 1993, which makes sense given when the film was released. So, yeah. And shout out all of the 90s stonewash jeans. Oh, hell yeah. There are so many, and you can even tell in black and white. You can tell. And you mentioned the fight scene. They filmed this, and they they always tried to make sure they got set back up for the store to open at 6, because they didn't, you know, the owners knew they were shooting it, but they didn't really think that they knew exactly how extensive it was. And they said the one time that one of the owner, whether it was the owner or the wife, I forget, came in, it was that final scene where they messed up the store and they're laying there on the, you know, the products or whatever. They said she, the lady walked in, she took one look and just walked back out. <laughs> nice. And that brings us to the end of the film. And in the theatrical version, after the fight, Dante and Randall clean up their mess. And as he leaves, Randall tells Dante, you're closed. And movie ends. In the original version, it keeps going after Randall leaves. We see a robber come in. I'm pretty sure it's a guy we saw earlier in a hoodie buying smokes or something. He shoots Dante dead. He takes the money out of the cash register. And and that's it. That's the end of the movie. And Soup, you think they probably made the right choice to change it here right oh absolutely because there never would have been any other clerks after this you know i mean if they if 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 he was like man this is it this is all we're gonna do maybe but i still wouldn't have liked that ending you know i mean i guess it would top off a fucking bad day but you know it kind of makes sense in that regard but as far as uh you know uh, as far as making the right choice with with going with the ending he did um you know because now there's a lot more you know the big picture and everything else so clerks was just a starting point you know so 
Um, it's legendary, it's iconic and everything else. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the foundation for pretty much every other Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, you can't blame him. It, more or less, he said there were a couple influences. And in, uh, I think he's pointed out, you heard him talking about how Dante preferred Empire Strikes Back and how that movie ends on a downer or whatever. But he basically admitted he just didn't know how to end it. But I think really ending it when uh, Randall says you're closed, pretty good ending, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure he rips the uh, the sign down and throws it at him, right? Like, hey, you're closed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all you needed, really, because you have the climax when they fight and Veronica dumps him, the denouements when they clean, and that's all they needed was something to get out on. I think he just overthought it a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, I definitely prefer the. Pr- 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 I definitely prefer the ending that uh, that that they did instead of the instead of the uh, other options. I'm trying to think of what, like, maybe if the guy had come in and then, like. Silent Bob comes back because he forgot something and then just like whacks the dude on the head before he shoots him. It was like, any better That'd be cool, like a Mallrats Batman kind of style or something, you know? <laughs> something like that. I don't know. That, that's when uh, the guy who was going to give him the second fine for having the human lug comes in and it yeah. wins the dude out and then he runs away, but then he still gets a fine for like two grand for having a human lug on the counter. <laughs> that might have worked. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, all right, man. So that's the end of the flick. So is there anything else about Clerks you'd like to discuss? Throw it all in here. The animated series, documentaries, podcasts, articles, whatever you got. Empty the notebook. Empty the your brain holes here on uh, Clerks. Well, um, you know, I think I think I jumped the gun earlier and already said and already said what I was probably supposed to say here, which was, you know, after watching the third part and how different of a view I had on this movie after, you know, I'd seen this movie dozens and dozens of times up until, you know, over the years. And then, uh, you know, the re- the most recent rewatch, I think, was uh, taking place after the, you know, after I'd seen Clerks 3. And like I said, man, it was just a different way to watch it because um, knowing that a lot of the making of, you know, seeing a lot of the making of or whatever. So it gives you a little different things to look at and whatnot, you know. But overall, Clerks is a fucking... I mean, it's a top-notch movie for me, man. You know, it's always been, well, it's been for the past, you know, whatever, 30 years almost or whatever, a big part of <laughs> a big part of things for me, man. And I've always looked, ever since the first time I've seen it, I was like, this is one that's going to always be in my library. You know, it relates to a lot of life, uh, you know, things and everything else for me. So, it, and it always has, and it never really gets old. So, I love it. There's often been commentary about why the movie was filmed in black and white. Uh, Kevin Smith always liked the idea that it was a fan theory that it was filmed by security cameras, but really it was a practical thing because they didn't have any money and they had to light the scenes very differently. So to have matched all that lighting in post would have cost them a ton of extra money. So that's why they went with the black and white. And the original clerk script was loosely based on the Divine Comedy by uh, Dante Algehari. That's, you know, again, why you have the name of the protagonist being Dante Hicks, and also why there are nine breaks in the movie that are supposed to represent the nine rings of hell. The clerk's logo you see on the poster is made out of various letters cut from magazines, food items. The C is from Cosmopolitan Magazine. The L is from Life. The E is from Rolling Stone. The R is from Ruffles, Potato Chips. The K is from the Clark Bar. The S is from a Goober's Box. And I mentioned earlier, uh, one of Kevin Smith's good friend, Walter Flanagan, plays four roles here. He's the guidance counselor, the cigarette protester who bought the cigarettes right after we talked about. He's the uh, customer offended by the jizz mopper discussion. 
and the word fuck and its derivatives are said 91 times throughout this movie, mostly between uh, Dante and Jay and or Dante and Randall, excuse me. And uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I would have thought there were more fucks than that kind of. What do you think? It seems like it. It seems like it, but it's a shorter movie. Um... It's about one per minute. It's about a fuck per minute. On the Clerks 2 DVD, there's a special feature called uh, The Snowball Effect. It's kind of the making of Clerks, a story of Clerks. On that, Kevin Smith says that the film's original title was Inconvenience, then it was Rude Clerks, then it was just Clerks. Uh, Soup, is there anything this movie could be called besides Clerks? Uh, I mean, Inconvenience, I could see that working, um, but because we know it as Clerks, that's what it is. I maybe could argue for I'm not even supposed to be here today, but that's definitely long for a oh, title. Yeah. Roof hockey probably wouldn't bring in the right demographic. Uh, you tipped over the casket. And uh, here's something that's interesting: is the role of Dante was originally written for Ernest O'Donnell. That's actually the dude who played Rick Darris. But dude showed up to the, like the final rehearsal, didn't know his lines or anything, so they wound up swapping him out. But I thought he wound up being perfect as Rick Darris. And it's kind of funny to see the because, documentary. Yeah, but. I love it because he was like, you know what? Guess what, dude? You're the one that's out of shape. <laughs> you didn't know your lines, motherfucker. <laughs> and Dante says, I'm not even supposed to be here today five times. He also says, no, I don't work today. And yeah, I know I'm not scheduled today. A bunch of documentaries here. I just mentioned the Snowball Effect. That's a documentary about the making of Clerks. It was included on the Clerks 2 DVD. Uh, I could not find Shooting Clerks, which is another documentary. Uh, I couldn't find it anywhere to buy or watch. And Clerk was a real documentary about Kevin Smith. Very enjoyable. Definitely focused on his whole career. Basically all the way to, uh, I think, past reboot, but before Clerks 3 shot. And it's fine, but it really didn't break any... I enjoyed it. I shouldn't say it's fine. It was good. But as far as Clerks itself goes, it really didn't break any new ground there. I also watched the unaired pilot for a potential Clerks TV show. And on the internet, they call it Saved by the Clerks because it's kind of like Saved by the Bell. And it's extremely accurate right down to the fact that there is a laugh track. Uh, Shout out Jim Brewer. There's a little bit of the Clerks DNA in there, but it's pretty ridiculous. And if I remember right, uh, there's no silent Bob and Jay is now Ray, but it is what it is. In a Clerksy animated series, dude, really good. I could did. Yeah, I have seen those, man. Um, it's been a while since I have since I've seen those, but I do remember those being pretty fucking solid. It's weird because I think the first episode is the worst, and the animation isn't very impressive. But that's what happens when you try to animate your human characters that you've already seen. So that always doesn't really look good but if you kind of hang in there a little bit you kind of stop noticing that and it's pretty well written it kind of fits with the clerks mentality although the fact they're on abc and they can't curse but check out this guest cast dude alec baldwin kevin michael richardson charles barkley tara strong brian cranston gilbert godfried michael mckean phil lamar lauren tom judge reinhold james woods gwyneth paltrow michael buffer Al Franken, Frank Walker. Dude, that is a hell of a guest cast. Uh, if you can find the Clerks animated series, power through the first episode. Uh, dude, pretty safe to say Clerks sponge-worthy, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely sponge-worthy, man. All right, so let's move on to the Veronica thing. And 
it's not making lasagna or doing 37 in a row. It's doing the college thing. So we're going to give a grade to clerks on a scale of zero to 100 annoying customers. How many are you giving to clerks? Soup, give me a grade, college boy. You know, I have a super, I have a really, really soft spot for this movie. So I'm giving it, an, I'm giving it 97 out of 100 uh, annoying customers. That's pretty good. Uh, see, I wanted to be a dick and break the mode, be like, oh, well, I'm going to give it 111 because that's 37 times three. But uh, it's really good. There are a couple flaws. I think 95 annoying customers is about right. It's definitely classic for me, but there are definitely limitations within the film with the budget, with the way it was shot. But again, another movie, if it's on. The thing with I, all that is it that that shit doesn't even really bother me when it, you know, because you'll see that like during the movie, during the movie, even even the whole thing going in originally with it black and white, you know. And then, and then some of the other things, but like none of that shit really matters just because how good the fucking the movie, the dialogue, the the characters, everything is, you know, you kind of can look past some of that shit. Oh, absolutely. I I mean, even just some of the plotting stuff and it, you know, it's not a perfect film, but it's right. for, you know, especially for what it is, it is extremely well written and enjoyable and rewatchable. All right. So we definitely like Clerk. So you know, and I think we're going to like all of these, but which views universe flick or whatever do you want to watch next? I mentioned, you know, Mall Rats came first, technically in the chronological order, or as far as how the films are set, it came, you know, second in terms of release order. Clerks 2 is an obvious follow-up, also open to a curveball here. What do you think, Soup? Any ideas? Well, there were, I think there was at least another movie or two uh, in between Clerks and Clerks 2, because Clerks 2 didn't come out till at least like, what, 10, 11 years later or something like that. I think it, I think it reads as 10 as far as the storyline goes, like in the, in the thing. But yeah, uh, Clerks 2 is about 10 years. So it it was at least 10, maybe a little bit longer as far as in like, you know, regular human people years. Um, So there were, there were a couple others in the, in the mix there, but yeah. Mall yeah, rats chasing you, dogma. I think, yeah. oh, and 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 strike back. So four yeah, in there. Yeah. Right. Um, so uh, you know, go going right to right to clerks too kind of makes sense, but I really want to go a little bit off the rail here, and I'm really leaning towards dogma, man. I have no problem doing <laughs> dogma. The only thing I would pitch instead is, would you have any interest in doing Clerks the animated series? It's like six. It's six. 20 yeah, minute actually episodes. I would. That might be kind of cool to do right I rewatched this. them. They're pretty funny, man. I think they're I'd be down. I'd I think there might that. be a little bit there. It's a little bit, you know, off the beaten path, but again, six episodes. We can do it in one shot. I think it would be fun, and it's technically set in a way that it doesn't interfere with any of the other continuity. Okay. Are they full 30 minute joints or are they no, like- it's like it's like 19, 22 minutes? Let's do it. I need a reason to rewatch those anyway after thinking about it today. You'll so. enjoy it, dude. It's great support. I mean, they even get like Charles Barkley, they, uh, Reggie Miller. It, Kevin Smith has a fucking, I don't know what he does. And they get interesting. They get really get meta. The, the series got high profile fucking cast members, man. I don't know. Like, people like him. He's, he's a nice dude. You got to give him that, you know, and uh, they, it, it's another one of those shows a little bit like Firefly got screwed over because they aired the episodes out of order. So they aired the second episode. I think they aired the fourth episode first, then the second episode. But the whole second episode was a meta episode that was a flashback to the first episode. But because they aired them out of order, it was a flashback to an episode that had never happened. And it just weirded people out. And this wasn't for um, ABC, really. 
And Kevin Smith has even kind of teased this could come back in some way, shape, or form and be said before. And there's definitely, I don't know how you could do the sitcom version of this. It, it wouldn't really play with people. There's just only so much you could do. But when you get into animated, you can kind of, you have a heightened reality and everything. So I think that could work. So you down, dude? Clerks the animated series next time? Yeah, I'm I'm down. Let's do it, man. It'll be fun. If nothing else, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching those again. It's been a long time. So yeah, Rebel and Alec Baldwin of it now, dude. Alec Baldwin playing that it's actually pretty solid, dude. I really I I was very pleasantly surprised when I rewatched that. So and hopefully, Wait. you know, you were pleasantly surprised by this very special episode of Regular Dudes Watch Stuff. Thank you for checking us out. Please remember to do the like, comment, rate, follow, subscribe thing, all that good stuff. Find us wherever you get your pods. Just search for regular dudes watch stuff. We're on the social media at dudes watch stuff. Search for us on YouTube. If there's any one of these viewers universe flicks you'd like us to see us talk about next or something like that. Any comments, just leave it in the comments on the YouTube video. Hit us up on the social media, all that good stuff. And uh, I think that's about it. Soup, remind them what we're talking about next. Well, we're going to talk about the Clerks animated series next because we're just coming off of Clerks right now, which uh, I am fucking stoked about, man. Looking forward to that. Um, I would also like to thank everybody for tuning into this one. Regular dudes watch stuff, and uh, Clerks is a very special one for all of us. And, <laughs> you know, I'm getting emotional here, man. But, uh, yeah, uh, you know, like, subscribe, fucking thumb us, man. Thumb us hard, dude, but not 37 times, not in a row. You know, if you watch these in a row, then fine. But... <laughs> I don't know that there's anything I could do 37 times in a row. And like Soup said, thanks again for listening, watching, whatever. But seriously, we do have to get out of here. I mean, we're not even supposed to be here today. You're closed.